Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Episode of the NRL Super Coach All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley, and continuing on with our uh, season previews for the 2019 season. In episode two, we've got 2016 Super Coach champion Wilfred on board. Wilfred, you're ready for a big year in 2019, buddy. Hey, Barnsley. Yeah, no, I'm pretty keen. I've had enough of a break, and I'm getting stuck into some of the research. And yeah, just looking forward, ready for the season to start. To be on. Yeah, me too. I'm actually looking forward to the trials because it'll make things a lot easier and um, I guess take a lot of the guesswork out of it as well. But uh, yeah, you you can be the very first person this year, Wilfred, to ever uh, win Supercoach twice. So, you know, I guess you're gunning for that one. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm going to play it safer this year. So the last couple of years, I've just been a bit caught up in, you know, jumping on the interesting pods and trying a bit of a different strategy. But no, I'm going back to the safe, safer options this year. So uh, feeling <laughs> confident of a, a stronger finish anyway. <laughs> Mate, if I, if I won Supercoach, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't waver from the blueprint I had that year. So it's probably a good idea for you to, uh, to go back to it, I reckon. But let's get stuck into it, though. So the first team that we're going to go through tonight is going to be your guys, the Brisbane Broncos. So these guys haven't had too many changes, really. Um, probably the biggest change for their roster is the coaching one. So obviously Anthony Seabold is now their coach, and Wayne Bennett has now gone to the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So we probably don't need to go through that. But before we go through the players... Talking about their major change, um, do you see the style changing much more with Seabold? Are you looking forward to it from a super coach perspective, or how are you feeling about the coaching change for Supercoach? I think it's a good thing overall. We saw what he did with the Rabbitohs. Uh, not that the Broncos had horrible attack under Wayne Bennett, but you know the the common thought is that he was a bit more conservative overall. Uh, I don't really buy into that because yeah, maybe he was a bit more playing at times um you know there's a lot of criticism about him often being you know taking the two when they get the penalty or you know just a lot of one out kind of footy when they're just playing safe conservative you know not very interesting football but uh, at the end of the day like Bennett still oversaw the Broncos when they were a top four offense um I think they 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 weren't top four last year but they weren't too far out they're still top eight so yeah in terms of points scored they're still able to put points on the board but obviously, you know, Seabold was a lot more creative with how he used the Rabbitohs. And, and obviously their squad had quite a few plotters around, but he was still able to, you know, design plays to utilize these plotters. And he managed to turn Rob Jennings into a tri-scoring machine. So, you know, <laughs> imagine Corey Oates on the end of that back line instead of Robert Jennings. And, you know, we could have broken some records. So <laughs> looking forward to this year. Yeah, that's probably all, all a fair call. I agree with all of that. Um, I probably should have mentioned Josh Maguire is actually a big out that they've got as well um, and he's going to leave a lot of room in the pack uh, as is Sam Thayday retiring although he was not at his best in the last couple of seasons I would say so those two yeah. guys um, leaving brings us into our first discussion point which is the only real gun that I have listed for the Brisbane Broncos and that's TPJ, Tavita Pengai Jr. His numbers last year, I think that I liked him more than what his numbers suggested. Comes in this year at 495,000. 
he's a front row, second row forward guy, which is really valuable because we both know that the front row forward stocks are always quite thin lately. And his average per game was at 53 points. That doesn't really jump out and it probably doesn't say how good a player that he was and how good a player he can be. His PPM has always been between 1.38 to 1.05, which was his lower PPM. I guess a lot of us are probably expecting his numbers to step up because he played 50 minutes a game last year. And particularly with Thiday and Maguire now gone and a new coach involved, I guess we're all hoping that he's going to get more than 50 minutes, uh, which he's probably going to need to get to those 60s. So how are you seeing TPJ this year? Are you... Uh, optimistic or a little bit cautious about having him in your side? Um, I'm I'm all in. Uh, the Rockers have also lost Corbin Sims, who I mean, him and Thayday often, you know, they took up probably between 60 to 70 minutes, sometimes 80. Maguire is obviously a 60-ish minute guy. I think last year actually averaged 66 minutes for the season, so a lot of minutes lost there. Need a new lock. Uh, I see TVJ being the guy. Uh, I know there's some chat that. Offering Gowie might be the lock instead. Um, I I just I don't think it's a huge deal at the end of the day whether um, Offering Gowie wears the ten or eight or whatever, or TPJ wears the thirteen. I just think as long as Seabold uses it him smartly, because obviously TPJ had, had some injury issues last year. That's probably the one thing, the only concern I have. Uh, ultimately, I think he's going to get enough minutes. He could probably get even more. Just depends on his health and fitness, but you know, for him to average over one point per minute, even though he spent like a good half the season playing on the edge, that's impressive because you know we we all know that edge back rollers the work rate's usually down. It didn't seem to matter for TBJ. He was still able to get through plenty of work, and obviously his attacking stats were were just you know often there because that's the type of player he is. You probably have to discount um, it a little bit as well because he, he played a few games where he actually was still carrying injuries. I don't think his output was... Well, you could see it. He wasn't hitting the line the same some games at times um, and he probably was a bit less involved than what he normally would be. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I think that he's probably more around a, a 1.3 um, PPM for last year if he was healthy or a 1.2, not a 1.05. So he's probably more of a... a probably a 55 average last year if you're taking out his injury stuff. So realistically, I'm expecting him to probably get 60 minutes a game. Um, is that kind of where you're penciling him in? I think if I was looking at it conservatively, he's probably going to be... Because Seymour has come out and said he's going to play him in the middle exclusively. So firing you know, mid-game injuries and things like that, I can see TBJ at least playing 50 in the middle, which I think if he stays in the middle... At his PPM, like, that's already going to be a 55 to 60 average. Yep. Maybe he won't play 60 straight up, but I, I can see him building up to that. It just comes down to his, his body, basically, um, and, and, and his troublesome, troublesome hand strength. Um, I know he's already had a bit of a precautionary... Like he, he rested on one training session some uh, earlier this year uh, where he was worried about a hamstring. So it's already, like uh, I guess... You know, he's being cautious with it, which is a good sign. Um, so hopefully it, it doesn't become an issue. He doesn't injure it um, because he he struggled with it for quite a while last year, even though just for the sake of the team, he wasn't training, but he was still playing. So he was still, you know, fronting up for Compton's run uh, and then playing the game, even though I think there was a few games where he, 
he was only really fit for 30 minutes, but in those 30 minutes, he scored two tries and pretty much like, I, I remember one game distinct, um, distinctly, rather. He he played 30 minutes, scored two tries, and yep. I think Bennett pulled him off, and then he <laughs> just stopped. It was just, that was it. He couldn't play anymore, but game was won already. Like, oh. TPJ just destroyed the other team in that 30-minute burst. I had the BC on him that week, and I was livid because I was, <laughs> I think it was, a, I'm pretty sure it was a Friday night game. Well, well that's what the Broncos get anyway, isn't it? So, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was a Friday night, and um, yeah, I was looking at it just salivating after that 30 minutes, going, oh, he's on 75 points. It's, it's going to be a 120, 130-point game for him, and I'm going to loop it for sure. Yeah, didn't work out that way because of Wayne. I, I love TPJ. I've spoken to you a lot, in, a lot about him previously myself. So I'm going to throw out a few, I guess, areas of concern to play a bit of devil, devil's advocate before I go into yep. the, the TPJ love fest that I have. Probably the couple of things that do stick out as um, potential flags. One of them is the injury history, which you mentioned already. The other is, despite how good it felt owning TPJ last year, he was a little bit of a roller coaster at times. I was a little bit surprised to see that only 33% of his games that he played, he scored 60 plus points. I would have thought that he was more, you know, at least 50% of his games sort of thing. So he only did it one in every three games. He got to 60 being gun status um, and he did have 50 minutes a game. So that was a little bit of a concern when I sort of uncovered that looking at the numbers as well. Um, and probably the final thing, I mentioned that he's really available in the front row forward spot because there isn't very many options. So at his price and output and potential, he's a really good anchor to throw in there. But that can also be a bit of a hindrance because of his hamstring issues and the, the, the niggles that keep coming up because like how I've got my side built at the moment, I'm sure plenty of people are the same. I've gone really light in front row forward. So I've got TPJ and then I've got a mid um, that's going to be that second guy and then I've got two cheapies that I'm not going to use at all. Unfortunately, if you don't have that duel in the second row, if you and TPJ ends up having all these hamstring problems again, you're really going to be stuck um, right at the start because you're not going to want to start a, a paint hus or something um, and you're going to have another mid plodding along in your front row forward and all of a sudden you're going to have to make a trade that maybe you didn't want to do. So... That's probably a few things that I sort of thought about when I was having a look at him that scared me a little bit. Very valid points. I guess um, just to, you know, to, to bounce off that, um, if you look at, you know, obviously we look at 60 as the mark of, you know, you want to have a have a strong solid floor. Mm. Um, I mean, on that though, he had one, two, three, like five games where he scored 55 to 59 points. Yeah. So it wasn't too far off, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just if you if you're looking at 60 as the arbitrary mark, then yeah, sure, he missed it. But if say your line was 55, it, he obviously did very close um, to that. So I mean that that number goes. I think did you say he had what six games? Uh, over, 33% right. out of his 21 performances. So okay, uh, so seven games. Yeah, so that seven becomes 12 if you use the line of 55 instead. So it's a huge difference there. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously every point counts. But, you know, some of the games he only played like 40 minutes and he was still scored 56 points. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not too concerned um, on that, though. If he does get injured, I mean, I know it sounds weird, but obviously Payne Haas probably benefits yeah. uh, if TPJ isn't playing as many minutes. So, in a way, he, you know, if you're in a pinch, you can plug him in and probably get a 
a closer to, I mean, you might expect him to only get 30 to 35 points, um, you know, as a bench forward. But if, if TPJ's out and, and Haas probably gets a bit of a bump in the minutes as well, he could be looking at, you know, more 45, maybe even 50 minute, uh, fifty points or whatever. So he could be a stopgap for a week or two. If, he, if you know, if it's any longer, then ideally you probably have a backup in the second row or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe you run, you know, offhand Gowie in the second row as well. And then you got you got cover regardless. Yeah, that's a good um, point. You can definitely handcuff him with a few of the different Broncos options and then um, switch them around. Um, but I've, I've got him in my side and I, you're one of the first picks for me that's might be bringing up those worries because 495000 is great value. He's probably got a good shot at being one of the top three scoring front row forwards in the game, um, if not maybe yeah. even number one, um, depending on minutes. He's not going to get less than 50 minutes a game, so he's only got upside. Uh, and he is an attacking player who probably was up and down a little bit with what he did last year. Seabold should be able to give him a little bit more free reign for those offloads. And Broncos draw will lead us nicely into this second player we're going to talk about. But for TPJ as well, um, they do have three of the first five at home, which is a good thing for the Broncos. And you get to go and cheer him on early on most games, Friday nights probably. Yeah, well, uh, I'll be doing my best to get get to the games. Uh, but, you know, life with kids is always uh, unpredictable. So um, <laughs> I don't want to guarantee I'll be there, but uh, yeah. I'll definitely try. Well, they've got um, the North Queensland Cowboys in round two. I'm not expecting the Cows to be a very good team this year. I know that you are. I know that their forward pack's quite good, but I still think that he can run a bit of havoc against them. Um, the Roosters are a good side, of course, um, and they are a good defensive That's side. Started. Um, <laughs> no, of course not. We don't. We don't start slow, mate. We just win premierships, but. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to say against the Roosters is uh, we do allow some offloads against us sometimes um, and we are prone to being able to have those lapses. So TPJ probably could offload a bit. Round five and six are, are great TPJ games as well because he plays the West Tigers and the Canberra Raiders and the Tigers are at Suncorp. So I expect both of those to be pretty good Broncos games matchup-wise. Um, so yeah, TPJ for me and I think for you as well is a definite buy. Great front row forward option. Can you see any way you leave yep. your side before round one? Um, barring any sort of injury update, no. I think he'll be in definitely in my front row uh, come Timmy's Tuesday for round one. Yep. Um, I guess just the last thing on the injury thing. I mean, I've been obviously keeping an eye on him um, over the off season. He, as soon, you know, even in October, November last year, he was already working with hamstring specialists and stuff, doing specialist training um, on on you know how to get the most out of his hamstrings and, and, you know, how to stay on top of things. Um, So that was impressive. I thought that he was already doing that work in, you know, shortly after the season ended. Um, He's been maintaining that. He's obviously very conscious of it being, you know, one of his weaknesses right now. Yeah. Um, And one of the other things I guess I've heard is that apparently, you know, he, you know, you wouldn't think it, but he's apparently one of the smarter players going around. Uh, Does a lot of reading. Uh, yeah, I've seen that from him as well. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, what what was you know, kind of anecdotal, but, you know, I was hearing that he would read all the biographies from the various forwards and stuff like that, uh, who, who used to play at the Broncos and whenever he met them, like, 
he quiz he would quiz Gordy on his autobiography and ask him about various <laughs> things that he did during his career and and he you know he would obviously talk to Webke and, and Petro and all of those guys as well and pick their brains and he'd often be you know stealing them away for a good 34 30 minutes half an hour or whatever sorry 30 minutes or, or an hour or whatever just trying to you know basically work on his own game um, by picking them and drawing from their knowledge and experience so for, for such a young guy to be doing that I, I thought that was really impressive as well so really looking forward to a big year for him yeah the motivation and commitment um, that he has seems to be really good for his age so I think it'll be a good season but whilst we're unanimous on him um, someone else it's a little bit tougher to be unanimous on is our Broncos fallen gun in our team preview. And our fallen gun is, of course, Anthony Milford. Um, the MILF scored 55 a game last year, which realistically, in the scheme of things, isn't too bad. When I started with him last year, I thought he was going to maybe go all year and average 40 points. It's just how it felt owning him. But managed 55 for the year. Um, to put that in perspective, though, the three years prior to his 55, he was a 70, 67, and 65 average. And his PPM was between 0.81 to 0.89 those three years before dropping to 0.68, which is really poor. So his numbers basically went through the floor. Um, and one of the things that I really like about starting with Milford, he's in my side. He's 512,000. And I don't think he's going to be any cheaper than that um, anytime soon. He's probably an, a complete anomaly example. So I've chatted about this with Billy last year, Wilfred. I'm interested to get your in, input on it. But I say to Billy last year when we are doing the season um, season reviews at the end of the season, like, like if, if a guy is young enough and they're in like their mid-20s and they're in their prime, you just never see a really, really significant drop-off. You might see guys change 5% one way or 10% one way or, or the other, but you don't see guys fall off you know, 30% in their super coach production. It only happens when guys are either in a new situation, uh, are older and past it, or are carrying an injury. None of those things are Anthony Milford. So I just saw it as a complete anomaly. Uh, And one thing about anomalies is they're anomalies because they don't normally happen. So just on that logic alone, and just looking at the numbers, I have to think that he's at least getting back into the 60s. He's got to be at least five points below. And even if he gets to his... Worst season in the three years prior to his 55, that's still a 65 average. So I just, I have to think that he's between five and 10 points below where he should be price-wise, which is going to be value. Um, But am I just crazy looking at those numbers a bit too much or do you think that I might have something there? No, I think you're you're onto something. I mean, we, you know, before 2018, I, I was quite confident that, you know, he was starting to become more consistent as, you know, a player um, that obviously didn't quite transpire because you know you, used, you talked about how you know being in a new new situation sometimes uh, you know caused drop drop offs and things like that in scores. Well, for him, I guess you know he had to learn how to be more of an organizer and playmaker, uh, you know, a dominant playmaker as opposed to someone who could just run instinctively and uh, play off the cuff, which is you know I, I guess arguably his best strength. Yep. Um, so, you know, we saw that over the first half of the season where, yeah, he didn't really have very good games. Um, there were times where he just looked indecisive and that, you know, half a second of hesitation 
Now, I feel like I talked about this when I came onto the podcast last year, but <laughs> you know, just that half a second of hesitation where he'd, you know, get the ball, he'd look up, and you know, he might have done one thing normally, but um, you know, he 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 would have to think, you know, should I do this as a organizer? But then he'd go, oh well, no, I should just follow my instincts, and then you know, he'd he'd go for the run, but that half a second meant, you know, he wouldn't bust through the hole like he, he would have done last year or whatever. But, I mean, if you break down the numbers, I mean, the first 14 games, he averaged 47.1. Yep. And he came home with a bit of a wet sail for the last 10 games where he averaged, uh, I think, 65.4. So I liked the sound of that second, um, you know, the, the last 10 rounds of last season where, you know, he, he clearly had felt more comfortable. His kicking game had improved. He just kept improving you know almost week to week until i mean i would say like i know i've said this before but i reckon for the last two months of the season his kicking game was probably you know top four in the nrl uh just the position he was getting the dropouts that he was uh forcing you know the number of 40 20s that he was inches away from landing uh it was just like you know i'd, I'd never have would have ever thought that kick would have come from milford basically if yeah. you just saw, you know, a playmaker, you know, chip a, a, a ball into the corner or whatever, I, I would never have thought Milford would have done that. But he was just landing these amazing kicks. Yeah, he improved immensely. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I thought so as well. And even his organisation and stuff was a lot better. And just touching on that run that you were talking about, because I was looking at that as well um, when I was putting it together my side. From round 16, just to give everyone some numbers, like everyone sort of feels like Milford was a lost cause last year, but round 16, uh, I actually captained him because he was playing Canberra and I was desperate. It's that whole um, playing a, against your old club thing that I'm very big on. I think they step up a lot. Uh, so The revenge game. The revenge games are there for the rest of your life, I tell you. Um, even playing like uh, not a good level sport, like even when I played footy, like if I played against a club that I used to play for, I was always up for it. So. Yeah. It is there, but against Canberra in round 16, he threw up 106 points. And then to finish out the year, he went from 106 to 62, 71, 49, 40, 62, a poor score of 33. And then finished off the year with 80, 69, and 82. So pretty good numbers. Um, and realistically, like despite the fact that Milford's been known for his single-digit scoring uh, and being able to pull some of those scores out, he did not do it last year. Uh, we didn't get like a score of seven or nine or something from him. And aside from that as well, we even in that run that we had, you know, there was only one score that was under 40, uh, two scores out of 10 that were under 40 points. Uh, he threw a lot under 40 point games in the first 14 games, but after that, he didn't really do it. So I think that you're definitely uh, onto it as far as his comfort level and everything else. Uh, one other point that I want to raise with him that I think, is a really valid one to consider having him in the half for 2019. He has a game that very much suits Supercoach. He's got the offloads. He's always running around and sniffing for a break or an opportunity, and he creates a lot. I was frustrated last year, and I know that we were chatting online and stuff at times, praying that he was going to get a late update to a try assist and, um, and things like that with attack and he, he would end up short. I think that they actually were looking at him like the anti-JT at times last year. He just wasn't getting those extra points and he probably, if he was Jonathan Thurston, he probably would have gotten them. Uh, new try contribution stadium this year. Anthony Milford actually comes in around uh, number four on someone who on last year's stats would have benefited the most 
out of applying that try contribution stat. Approximating, of course, we don't know definites, but he would have probably been impacted the fourth most um, out of the halves that we're looking at, um, definitely. So he is someone who's probably going to benefit maybe two to three points a game just by the try contribution stat as well. So that's probably something else to consider. Yeah, definitely. I was going to mention that, um, and you, you beat me to it, but... Uh, from memory, I think he was actually listed as being plus fifty six um, on last season. Yep, plus fifty six. Um, which, as you said, yeah, as you as you said, it's you know two three points per game, but you know that fifty four fifty five average, um, you know, is pushing much closer to sixty by then. Um, you know, and that's without him lifting a finger. Literally, it's just there. It would be a, a you know new stat for this year that he will just get credit for a lot of the good work he was doing. So yeah, look, I, I feel pretty confident about him. Um, going back to the starting draw, I mean, first round him against the Storm, that's going to be great. But, you know, he's got three games at Suncorp in the first five, and we know how. He loves Suncorp. Yeah, exactly. He still, he still averages better there, uh, even though, you know, last year it wasn't quite the, the usual dizzying heights that we're used to, where he would, you know, easily rattle off a 100-plus score. I think he only had the one 100-plus um, score last year, and it wasn't even at Suncorp, so... Uh, no, wait, sorry, he had two. Um, one was the, the Raiders game you mentioned, which yep. um, I think he was actually on, like, he was on something like 15 at halftime. Yeah, he shielded in the second half. Yeah, he set up two tries, scored another one, broke the line multiple times. It was just a, just a masterclass in 40 minutes. And, I mean, that's what Milford's capable of. You know, when he's on, he's really on. So I, I feel pretty confident about next year. Yeah, I think he's sitting around, you know, the 10 to 15% mark, which... Still actually a bit higher than I expected. Yeah. But, you know, that how many of those 10 to 15% play, um, are serious players? How many of them are just uh, Broncos fanboys? <laughs> like myself, just plugging Milford in because he's yeah, Milford. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably... I think it'll probably be closer to 10% once we actually start, which is going to be good. And that draw to finish up on him, West Tigers in round five, people are really going to want to own him for that. And round six versus Canberra, he's more than capable of putting another ton on Canberra because he likes doing it. So I tend to think even if he's sort of steady in those first few rounds, um, people are going to regret not owning him for, you know, round five and six at least. Um, and then he sort of goes into a couple of good games. Round nine, he's got the, the Sea Eagles and then round 11, he's got the Warriors. So there's a, you know, half of that Broncos draw is going to open up for Milford, it looks like. So I really like him. You like him. I think he's a good pod. I don't think he'll be a fallen gun after this season. I think he's going to be a gun. So let's move on to our mighty mids. So mighty mids for the Broncos. Mid-level players that I've got here to talk about briefly. Uh, Gillette and Bird. So very quickly, Matt Gillette, um, I've actually plugged into my side because it looks like he's going to be playing 80 minutes again. And I was chatting about this with some of the guys online with his numbers. Um, he was, you know, in 2018 only a 51 point average, but he only played five games, so you can pretty much straighten that out the window. 2017 was his last full season at 22 games, and he averaged 66 points a game. People forget what a weapon Gillette was. He was a guy who got through a mountain of tackles, could throw an offload, could get the odd attacking stat as well. Uh, and even the years before were 57-57, that's still, you know, a good six points higher than where he's priced at. Only coming in at 433000 uh, I think that unless he's 
going to get injured again, he's definitely getting 100 grand in profit. Uh, and he's potentially going to be a guy that you can keep around and play pretty confidently, unlike some other mid options. So I got to let in my team. Um, are you feeling good about him or are you a little bit wary still? I think um, I'm, I'm just a bit more cautious with him because I just, obviously, you know, as a Broncos fan, I kept tabs on Gillette throughout last year and, you know, hearing him talk in his interview about how he realised that he had been playing with a broken neck and that he could have died and, you know, any time if, you know, one tackle just went wrong again. Um, I, I just, I'm cautious because that, you know, that kind of injury and then, you know, the fact that he was faced with his own, literally faced with his own mortality. I mean, you know, surely that's going to have some mental scars for him to be able to, you know, jump straight into playing first grade where you know, you're obviously putting your body on the line each week and to, to believe he can just churn out 80 minutes without any fear or any, you know, negative fallout from from what happened he could very well be fine but i just want to see it first i think for me like i feel that there's enough mid-range second row forward options that you know even though Gillette could easily be a home run because he is so cheap and he's got the discount as well um and you know i definitely think there's plenty of money we made there but i feel like maybe it's not going to be a an instant impact and maybe you can start with someone else first and if you see Gillette's just straight into 80 minutes and he's got the usual work rate up and everything like that, then it'll be easy to jump, easy to jump across. Yeah, that's a fair call. But, yeah, so I, I kind of agree with you. You've probably got to be a bit more cautious on Bird. Even though I've got him in there, um, I'm not 100% confident on him. Um, I do think that probably more people should be considering them what they are, especially when I've seen yeah. some of the teams that are being thrown around. Um, but... <laughs> um, well, I mean, Aiden Tolman's are probably a good example, just real briefly. Like, I'm seeing Aiden Tolman in a lot of teams, and you know, Aiden Tolman's a bit of a, a, a mid 50s sort of plotter, um, and he doesn't really have any upside either. Um, someone like Gillette is $140,000 less, he's got upside, and even if he doesn't hit his upside, he's still going to be low to mid 50s at worst anyway. So you know, I think he's better than some of the options I've seen there. But yeah, take your point. Definitely could go pear shaped. Um, the next guy in a marvelous mids category is uh, Bird, though, and Bird is someone that we're probably going to disagree on a bit more. I'm seeing Bird in heaps of teams. He's three hundred twenty-one thousand uh, center wing eligible, so I get it. Um, but in saying that, he obviously had an atrocious year last year. He only played eight games, averaged twenty-six points. Um, a game which is really bad. I understand that he, uh, you know, might have laid off the Maccas and <laughs> lost a few kilos and got fit, had a new coach, used to be better in Cronulla. I get all that stuff. But my thing with Bird is that he was never that good. So, like, in 2017, when he was fine, he still only averaged 48 points. And then in the centres in 2016, he still only averaged 52. He's never been a gun centre. Um, I guess you could argue that, yeah, you can get 100k out of him to get to 420k or, you know, you're still going to make your money and stuff. That's fair enough. But for me, I, I'd rather go mids in the second row and just with the light rookies in the centres and guns because 320k, you know, I feel like I can just pay, you know, 168k for a rookie and potentially get the same sort of start as what I'm going to get out of Bird. Um, so I'm really not very keen. On paying that for him because I just don't think he's got the upside there um, compared to some of the other options in centre wing. 
Yeah, look, uh, it's certainly a valid argument. You know, as you said, some of the rookies could easily score just as well as Bird, but obviously at base price. Uh, I mean, just to play devil's advocate a little, um, he's priced at what thirty-four and a half points per game at the moment, roughly. Yeah. Um, let's not get into the fact that he shouldn't be priced. He down. should be two hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> that's right. But... <laughs> <laughs> should, should should be priced an average twenty five, which he was last year, but that's by the beside the point. Uh, I mean, looking at his first, you know, his last full season playing center. I mean, obviously right center for the Sharks. He was averaging in, in just his pure base. I think he was sitting around thirty one, thirty two per game, which I think um, you know it's actually a little bit better than what I thought it was, to be honest. Um, so you know, for his for his base to be only just you know one or two points below his price, if you believe that Milford's going to have a good year, then uh, with Bird playing left center uh, and having obviously Corey Oates beside him, I think you know there's real potential for Bird to get more attacking stats than he did when he only averaged 48. Uh, I mean, looking at that year, he he scored two tries and he set up six tries and had one last touch assist. So, again, if you believe that Bird's going to have a good year um, playing left centre, you know, on the potentially favoured left side attack of the Broncos, then, yeah, certainly it's a, it's a potential there for him to, to do well. Um, but I totally agree. I mean, if the cheapies are there, then I can't see why you wouldn't pick a cheapie over Bird. And let's say a capable 340000 he's only twenty grand more. You'd rather bank on him. If he was going to start on the right edge or, or whatever yep. for the Sharks, um, you know, he's a, he's a much safer option. Or if you've got John Bateman, 400 grand, 80 grand more. But, you know, if he's starting at lock, you know, that's a, and, and playing 50 minutes or whatever, then potentially that's a much safer 45 to 50 points you're going to bank each week. Yeah, or even so, just have yeah. a, a Gillette in your second row if you can find the extra 100 grand and, and just put that mid somewhere else. Rather than in centre wing, yeah. it's the better option. But he could go well, you're right. It's a really good point. Um, outside of Milford, uh, more attacking opportunities could happen. I don't think it's a terrible thing. I'm not going to say he's a mistake or anything, but he's not one that I'm as keen on as other people, and I think he might be getting overrated a little bit on how easily he's going to make people money and get points again. Um, but let's move on to a, a cheapie. Payne Haas is the one cheapie I've got in the Broncos um, that's worth talking about. Is he, is he definitely going to get a spot in the 17, surely? And, you know, can you see him increasing his minutes much? Well, I mean, he only played three games, and two of his games last year he got hurt or knocked out. So he's definitely getting more minutes than what he got last year. Yeah, he seemed to be um, an end of the... Yeah, probably a bad question on my part, but he seemed to be like an end-of-the-bench 17-man, 20-minute role, even though he got 12 minutes a game. That was injury, so... 20-minute-a-game roles, you know, a bit of a super coach killer for a forward. Is he going to get more than that? Like, what do you think his um, sort of role looks like in that new Broncos team? I can't see him getting on some 30 minutes, to be honest. Just, he seems, you know, like, when he got his first day, like, in his very first game, he got about 20, 21 minutes or whatever, and he just looks so good. Like, for, for a rookie, he just, he, he looks so capable despite it being his first game. And it was just a matter of bad luck, to be honest. Yeah. Two games, he, he just didn't get a chance to, to really do anything because he, he'd be on the field for like four or five minutes and he got hurt. So uh, I think he's definitely in Seabolt's plans. He, he's, um, you know, obviously 
the Broncos signed him for, for what, six years, five years, something like that. And they're very much believe in his potential um, from everything I've seen. two million plus as well. So it was a lot of money that they invested in a kid that hadn't played yet. Yeah, it was pretty much like the Ponga contract, basically. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the contract when the Knights did... um, uh, had Bong sign, you know, they copped a lot of criticism for it, but I think everyone can see that it certainly was more than worth it. Um, so, you know, we remain to see whether Payne Hearts will live up to the, to the potential there, but I mean, he was very highly sought after. Um, the Broncos have, you know, invested in him. From what I, you know, hear, Seabold is, um, you know, sufficiently impressed by his training ethic and everything like that. So, just another one of his, you know, teenage rookies who just have a really mature head on their shoulders uh, and is just doing all the right things at training, just, you know, they're, they're being professional, um, putting themselves in contention. So I think he's going to be on the bench. I'm pretty confident of that, actually. So I'll, I'll be extremely surprised if he's not getting 30, at least 30 minutes a game. I mean, yeah. if you, even if you look at last year, um, you know, Seabold had um, Junior Totola playing 30 minutes like consistently over the likes of, you know, Mark Nichols and other guys like that who who were more experienced um, because I guess he liked what he saw from him from the preseason training and everything like that. So um, I, I think, think Seabold yeah. likes a bit of size as well. So that's probably going to... big boy for <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's massive. So I think that's going to play in his favour. Um, so I, I've got Haas in at the moment. And to be honest, he might be the only front row, second row, forward, cheapy that's going to be any good to start for round one because it's always really scarce. So I think that most people are going to have to consider having Hearts in there. I think he's fine to have in there. Might be a slow burn, but doesn't really matter. Um, he's going to be worth it. But let's move on to our pods because I think that you're going to be salivating over um, a couple of these guys. <laughs> so uh, the first one, um, we're going to talk about uh, Big Joe O. So Offhand Gowie um, played... 50 minutes a game last year after averaging 30s the, the years prior, and he did that uh, with a 51-point average. So obviously picked it up quite a bit, but he's averaged basically one PPM a game around about for four years, 1.02 in 2018, 1.25 in 2017, 0.96 in 16, and in 2015 he averaged exactly one PPM. Uh, so he's a guy that if he gets the minutes, he's going to look pretty good. He's a dual second row, front row forward, which is really handy. 480,000. I really like the look of him. Not many people are going to go near him. Um, to me, if he gets uh, sort of 60-plus minutes a game somehow, he's uh, potentially going to be a gun and a real underrated guy to have him around one as a pod. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, he's always been... Um, I mean, this is a guy, when he came out of Reggie, he was playing 80 minutes of prop and running on average for 200 metres a game. Yep. So he's always had a massive murder. Um, and I actually thought, you know, that... I think he was one of the guys that was was the reason why, you know, Ben was criticised, because he blooded him so slowly. But, I mean, as he earned the trust, uh, you can see even last season, um, when, when Gillette was out and, and, you know, TPJ was struggling with injury, when... Um, Offhand Gary stepped into that lock role and, and was given the big minutes. I mean, uh, I think even in just eight games last year where he played, you know, high 50s or, or just basically even over 50 minutes a game, like he was averaging, you know, around 65 to 70 points per game and most of it's in base. So, 
very impressive motor, high work rate. 100%. If he's going to get 60 plus minutes, I'm, I'm, I'm very keen to jump on as well. Before we move on to the next one, just briefly, do you think that he's going to get 60 minutes? Where do you pick his minutes at as a Broncos fan? It's a tough one. I think the, the reason why I'm not 100% sold he's going to get 60 minutes because I think Matt Lodge is going to get decent minutes as well. Yep. And then TBJ as well. So I feel like the minutes are going to get spread there. And if that's the case, I'm going to go for the guy who's got the biggest attacking upside, which is definitely TPJ. And that's why I've definitely got him in my team over Offhand Gowie. Yep. But if, if I see in the first two rounds that Offhand Gowie is playing 60 to 65 minutes consistently, I'm going to find a way to get him in because he's obviously on the price on that base because he averaged, what, the 50 minutes last year. So yep. at the 1 PPM, that's, you know, an extra 10, 15 points per game. That's, you know, going to be a nice moneymaker with strong, strong solar points. Yeah, great. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's yeah. definitely one for us to watch in the trials for minutes. Um, the next guy, we kind of know what we get, though, as far as him being a pod and his output. Andrew McCulloch, um, 505,000. People are looking at him as an alternative to Cook if they're shunning Smith. Um, I've actually looked at Hodgson myself, but I considered McCulloch. Uh, he's 505,000 is pretty cheap for him. He averaged 54 a game last year, which was solid. The year before, he actually averaged 61, though. Um, prior to that, he had a 48 average, which was a bad season. And then he had a 59 average in 2015. So he's always been a guy that's been able to get in the 50s mostly. I um, mean, his bread and butter's been his tackling. Um, he's done a huge amount of tackling. Uh, obviously, Seabold allowed Damien Cook to play 80 minutes. He flourished with an attacking game that I just don't think McCulloch has, but just the assurance that he's not going to have any playing around with a bench utility that could get in his way or anything like that's reassuring. Um, I don't think he's quite there. I'd rather Hodgson, um, Cook more so, and then you know Smith is debatable as well as the top three hookers. Um, but how do you... I, I think that you were saying that you were considering Macker in your side for round one. Yeah, I looked at him. Because obviously, you know, 54 average, a bit down on what it should be. He had, what, three or four injury-shortened games last year. So he could easily have been averaging close to 60 again, um, throwing the potential attacking upside. Um, you know, let's call it the Seabold factor. Yeah, there's certainly opportunity for him to to at least average five to even 10 points more than what he's got at the moment. He often starts well as well. Um, which is, you know, another thing that, um, you know, works in his favour. And I guess the other thing is, obviously, he was coming up for quite a serious knee injury. Uh, I think he did his ACL and his MCL in the same injury. Um, so he was all in all sorts when he got hurt in 2017. So for him to come back and, and play round one, even though it was a shortened game, and then just from round two onwards, just hammering out 80 minutes each week uh, was seriously impressive. But, uh, I mean, if you follow NRL physio at all, um, you'll have seen that he's, you know, he, he's talked multiple times about how it's the second year after an ACL injury um, that the players really, you know, turn up and, and they often end up, you know, stronger than where they were because obviously they've been doing all their rehab and everything like that. And, and, and you know, you look at RTS, his, his second year obviously was much more impressive compared to his first year back from the ACL. So, you know, there's a chance that Macca will be able to get a bit more of a running game going. Obviously, he's never going to be Damien Cook, but even if he make, makes another three, four runs, three, four dummy half scoots, um, working off these young forwards, 
that's another, you know, potentially uh, just four or five points there. Yeah, um, no, increase cool. space. he's probably, he's, I think I can see him as a good option or someone that you definitely consider if you're not going for Cook. But um, I personally would prefer just to, to go up to Hodgson or Smith if I'm not going to go Cook and go that way. That's fair. I mean, the thing with Hodgson is, and, and this might be getting off track because obviously we're from the Broncos, but he averaged 63, which is actually quite high, um, higher than I expected. And there's a, there's a heck of a lot of tries in his in in, in his um, limited games from last year. Yeah, so I, I whether think, you think he can keep that going? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I, I think that he can because I just think that's the sort of hooker he is. But more so with McCulloch, we'll finish off on a nice little stat for him. He actually was the second most effective hooker by the try contribution stat negatively. So he's a minus thirty points on last year with the new yep. try contribution stat. So that's an extra two to three points um, just in the type try contribution stat coming in for him as well. Um, but we're going to need to move on from the Broncos because otherwise it would be a Broncos yeah. pod. <laughs> so <laughs> the one guy I had as a mistake in the Broncos side that I've seen a few people grabbing is Jermaine Asako. I'm not even going to focus on him too much. I'm just going to say a couple of quick points. You don't pay $520,000 for a winger if he's going to be your only centre wing. And you don't do it when you're going to have at least three or four cheapies in the centre wing as well. Even if he's kicking goals, I don't care. He's also coming into the second year. Second year syndrome, uh, 520000 is massive for a winger. He's not going to get that fullback role. So I don't think anyone should have a Sarko in their side for round one at least. Um, but let's move straight on to the Sharkies, Wilfred. This is an exciting yep. team. Um, and it's also one where... Um, they've got quite a few changes. Um, In-wise, the main ones are Josh Morris um, coming in, but even more so is obviously Sean Johnson coming into the side. They've lost a fair few as well. Uh, Jesse Ramian was really good from last year, and he's gone. Edric Lee, uh, has, as much as he is the butt of many jokes, um, it's actually pretty decent for him at times. Uh, Ricky Latelli's been there forever, and he's moved on. And the big one, Valentine Holmes was arguably their best player for Supercoach last year, and he's now gone as well. And their heart and soul, Luke Lewis, has retired. So they've lost a lot more than what they've brought in, which has kept them pretty thin and uh, questionable for how they're going to go this year. But that's opened up a lot of opportunities for Supercoach. So first of all, I've got three guns to talk about for the Sharkies. Let's start off with the material Sean Johnson, He's one that a few people are throwing in. He's reasonably well-owned. He's always been a pretty good super coach performer. 64 a game last year was actually his lowest average in four years. Before that 64, he'd gone 72, 69, 71. And the roller coaster was a complete myth. He was within three points of his scoring average for three years in a row. Uh, and he was doing exceptionally well. And more than 50% of his... Um, scoring has been for the last four years over 60 points anyway. He was doing really well up until last year and he seemed to really um, falter a little bit after the fast start from the Warriors. Um, he had a few issues and a, a fair few bad games. Uh, lowest PPM he's had in four years as well. Coming into the Sharks, um, I can see the appeal, but he's not for me. I'd rather see how he works his way into the lineup and stuff and um, gels with the combinations. It's also the fact that he's, you know, he's actually not just moving teams, he's moving countries. He's come quite a far away, uh, coming from New Zealand over to Cronulla. He's going to have quite a bit of adjustment. They've got a new coach, as it is as well. So for me, he's a, he's a watch, and I definitely want him down the track. 
Have you toyed with the idea of, of throwing throwing him in as your starting half right from the get go? Um, not really, to be honest. Uh, I've never been a fan of starting players, you know, especially you know, uh, skill skill position players. Um, you know, that have changed teams, changed track attacking structure, especially with new coach as well. So, uh, as much as I love having SJ in my team, I just think the safe players to keep, you know, just to wait, basically. Um, and it's not like he plays around 12 or anything like that. So for me, I, I definitely think I'm just going to wait and see with Sean Johnson, wait till after round 12 before I'd really look at him um, and, and obviously get him for the buys and the run home. Yeah, I 100% agree. And like, even though Sean Johnson is a better super coach player than Anthony Milford, um, you have to think in round one, money-wise, what's worth it as well and how you can fit your team. I would rather have an extra 100000 to spend by going Milford who I think has got a similar sort of upside in his game to go big as Sean Johnson does and spend that 100k yep. elsewhere. Um, so I, I think that that's... And, and there's other options as well. I mean, someone like Nathan Cleary is just... When you're comparing the two, there's no comparison. You go Nathan Cleary. Um, and the last point I'll make with Sean Johnson too is he hasn't missed heaps of games, but he's still only played 18 games in the last two seasons. So he has missed a few. Um, about 25% of the season he's missed in the last two years. That's a concern um, because even though he played 24 games in 16, he played exactly 18 in 15. So 18 has been the magic number in games played for him three out of the last four. There was rumours as well that the Warriors weren't happy with his attitude but also weren't sure about his durability with the injuries that he's copped as well. So uh, just too many red flags for me. I think that it's easier just to wait um, and just get someone else. And if Sean Johnson goes gangbusters, uh, look at trading him in during the season because guaranteed you'll have some lower games and you'll be able to do that um, or you'll have an injury and you'll be able to try and work him in. I think it's better just to wait. Uh, but gun-wise for the forwards, Wilfred, we've got two of them going head-to-head, Paul Gallen and Andrew Fafita. So I'm not going to go through their stats because everyone knows um, what sort of gun Gallen has been. I will just quickly say with him that he fell off significantly last year to a 59 average after going 64s the prior years. So I don't even think that that really says the sort of fall off that Gal had um, because there was some games there where he scored, you know, 40 points and stuff, which was very un like I'm yep. personally not going to go near Gal, and for Fida looks a bit too expensive for me as well uh, and that 600k mark for the front row forward. Are you looking at, at, at either of those guys or do you think that maybe, you know, Andrew Fafita's worth it at 635 for your front row forward anchor? No, I'm going to stay away from both guys um, just because, again, new coach and just the, the presence of Aaron Woods just makes me worried, to be honest. I think, you know, when he transferred mid-season, obviously he hadn't been training with the team. He hasn't really, you know, gotten much in terms of, you know, combinations, things like that. And he only played like 30, sorry, not 30, uh, 40 up to maybe 50 minutes off the bench. I just don't know what their plan is in terms of rotations this year. Um, does Woods end up a starter? Does he, you know, still keep coming off the bench and, and Pryor stays the starter? Uh, I, I genuinely just don't know how those minutes are going to shape up with a full preseason for all these guys. Um, you know, Fafita is often a, a slow starter, even though he has had the fast start every now and then. Gal, I mean, you know, who knows? He might even get he might even get hurt boxing um, Hopper Senior, right? <laughs> All it takes is a straight punch here and there. 
Yeah, he has been injury riddled for a couple of years now, so that's the other thing with him. But I mean, for Phoenix, obviously someone that you're going to want in your front row forward at some point, though, right? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I just don't think I'm going to start with him. That's all. Yeah, it's a bit annoying too because Fifi also doesn't play round twelve, a big buy round, and now that he's out of the Origin frame, it would have been really handy, um, and that would have been a big selling point. Um, so that's that's a bit of a bummer, as is the fact that he's at 635k. He's, he, his price is 68 points. Now, he averaged 64 points a game the year before. He was 70s years before that, though. So, he, you know, he's got limited upside from 68 points to be much more expensive than what he is. And I think you hit the nail on the head where you can just hope that, once again, he's turned up to training a little bit fat and he's going to work his way into... <laughs> into game shape, which is fine. We love that as super coaches, as long as they're not in our side at the start of the year. So we just got to hope that that happens. Um, and that's going to be my plan. I think he's going to maybe start off a little bit slower um, and probably hit his form a month in. And then I'm hoping to probably maybe snag him at 550K, uh, which is exactly what I did last year. And it worked out really well. So I think that's the best case scenario for Andrew Fafita. Um, Let's talk about the marvellous mids, though, uh, Wilfred. They've probably got some of the better options in the Sharks because of the uh, opportunities that are opened up in that forward pack. Capel and Sorensen are projected as the two starting edge back rowers for the Sharkies. I'm not sure whether that'll end up happening or not. Um, young uh, Nakora has been spoken about really highly as well, um, and he... Looks like he could be a bit of a gun in the making too. So I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in one of those back row spots. But out of the two, Capewell and Sorensen, if they both get a back row spot, you know, are you going to go all out on mids and just go, I've got to get both of them? Or are you, is there one that's going to be your preference and you're just going to leave the other? I think definitely the fact that Capewell is dual position, you can plug him in your set of wings for 340k. Certainly more enticing in that way. Yep. Um, so I, I think out of the two, I'd lean to them. I mean, you could argue that both would be good options, but if Nikora, even if he doesn't get a starting spot, if he's such a gun, I mean, he's an edge back rower, so he's going to take some minutes off someone. I don't think either of these guys are, are really big enough to, to, you know, to slot in in the middle. So they're just going to play, you know, maybe 40 to 50, maybe 60 minutes at a pinch um, on an edge. And I just think they're probably not going to make enough money if that's the case. They've been um, really popular, um, which is, for Sorensen, I've got to say, it's a little bit surprising for me because he averaged 56 minutes a game last season as I was. And he only gave 37 points for, for that 56 minutes. So, I mean, I have to think that, you know, maybe he'll get 60 minutes and give you 40 points which isn't going to really push him anywhere. And I don't really see him doing 80 minutes, um, like you said, with Nakora on the bench. So I, I reckon that he's the, the worst of the two because if, if Capel's named and Sorensen's named, I'll be putting Capel in my centre wing. He's basically going to probably yep. be a 50 average, um, which uh, I think is what his average was starting on the edge last year. And that'll be fine in your centre wing, but it's going to be dirt in the second row. Um, well, not dirt, that's probably harsh, but... Compared to the other options, it probably will be. So <laughs> that's quite our yeah, thing. Yeah, I think, you know, people will be looking at his stats from last year going, oh, when he played 80 minutes, he was averaging 52 um, or, you know, 70 plus minutes. So, you know, that's obviously enticing there. He, I mean, he looked as a pretty decent player for, for short bursts. 
just don't think he's um, really able to maintain it consistently for the long term. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I can't see myself going with Sorensen. Um, I think, you know, you're better off taking the punt on Stimson or something like that um, for, for a similar price point, basically. Yeah. So I think we both agree that Sorensen's not going to be a goer unless he is locked into 80 minutes. If we know that he's locked into yeah. 80 minutes, then everything changes with minutes. But um, if, if he's getting even 10 minutes a game more, I don't know if it's going to be worth it on his PPM to bother. Um, Capewell, we agree. Lock him in your centre wing if he's a starter, but just don't throw him in your second row probably because it's not going to be worth it as well. Too many premium yeah, options agree. in that second row. Um, Cheapies-wise, we spoke about Nakora. Um, and I think that he's definitely going to be in the side myself. Um, if he's a starting back rower, he's also a guy that's centre wing, secondary eligible. So I don't know about you, but out of all the cheapies that I'm hoping for, <laughs> he's the one big hope, the number one on my list. If Britton Nakora is starting, him in the centre wing is going to be an absolute godsend round one. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we all love our back row cheapies, um, you know, as in guys playing in the back row, but uh, a rookie priced, but we can plug him in at center wing. That's the dream, oh. yeah, ultimate. But, I mean, I, I think there's legitimate reasons to think you still may put him in your second, second row because there's not very many second row cheapies as well. Yeah, and he I might be the how final. viable it is. He might be your final Yeah, one. he might be yeah. your sixth. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it seems a bit of a waste, but I think, you know, you need you're going to need at least one TV in that in second row, and if he's the only guy, then what are you going to do? Yeah, it's um, it's if he's if he's anywhere in the seventeen, it's going to be good. Um, and you're probably going to have to throw him in there. I think, especially with his dual uh, position versatility. Um, one of the other yeah. guys. Well, there's really two guys head to head in the back row for the Sharks. Uh, there's uh, Zeri. I'll probably pronounce that one wrong. That's gotten a lot of talk. And also Aaron Gray, who's sort of a bit of a smoky for uh, the win spot. Uh, Aaron Gray has been around the traps for a while, but he's only 216000 so he's very cheap. Uh, pretty close to a rookie price because he only played one game last year and he averaged 24 points. Um, but the year prior, he only averaged 33 points in nine games. It's probably the 2016 season, um, and to a lesser extent, 15, that really interests me, though, because he averaged... 42 and 43 points um, across 15 and 16. Uh, and on that average, um, you know, he obviously got opportunity with Southampton. If he gets that opportunity with Cronulla again now, you would expect that he's going to do something similar. And that's going to be a very decent price rise. You know, that's going to be going up 20 points on his average from where he's priced at. And you could just see him just um, being a winger, finishing off some tries and scoring a, a couple of doubles and stuff. So... Not much has been said about him. If he's got a starting wing spot, I'm, I'm very tempted to throw Aaron Gray in there. As bad a player as people might think he is for Supercoach, hey, 217 grand, probably going to average 40s. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, I mean, if you if you need cheapies, then yeah, absolutely throw him in there. But I think we're all hoping for Zeri. Um, there's, there's huge rats on him. They're hearing him. Um, I mean, people calling from the debut for quite some time, but he, he was on the... Um, you know, he, he hadn't turned 18 yet, basically. Yeah. Which is only amazing holding him back. But um, the reason I'm interested is because, you know, he's only played one game in re- in reserve grade. I think he played for Newtown, um, the Jets. And, you know, on his debut, he's, he scored three tries, three line breaks, busted a couple of tackles. And, you know, he, he ran for over 100 metres in his first game. So that wasn't 
you know, it's pretty impressive for, for such a young kid to be able to do that straight up. It's the first time they play against men. So, yeah. you know, it seems like he's the type that could hold could hold his own as a 18, 19-year-old playing NRL, like, you know, Latrell in his first year. Yeah, he would be fantastic if he can get into the side. I guess a couple of things with the Sharks side that I'm a little bit wary of. They've got a new coach and they've had quite a bit of turnover. Um, and they're also quite stacked in the back line. So none of those things are really conducive to being kind to super coaches for our month, unfortunately. So I'm, yep. I'm, I'm pretty wary of all that. Realistically, I'm, I'm probably only keen on uh, uh, Capo if he's starting to throw in my centre wing. I, I don't think I can, and, and obviously the cheapies. Um, last one for the Sharkies is our big balls pod for, for these guys. And it is going to be a, a big pod move, but I've actually seen a few teams around the traps with him. Matthew Moylan um, used to be a guy that was thrown out 60s um, in... 15 and 16, he averaged 61 and 63 points, which were his best years. And he looked like a bit of an up-and-coming gun. 59 points in 2017, but he was only a whisper off getting to that 60. Uh, it was really last year that he fell down where he scored 52 points a game. Um, and for me, it was really, he's not a half um, and he can't be relied on to be a half. Now that Sean Johnson's in the mix, he's going to go back to his fullback position which I really think is his best position. Um, and I think that he is looking at probably going up to at least late 50s, if not early 60s, like he was doing before. So you're looking at a good, you know, 7 to 10 point turnaround in his point scoring. The Sharks draw is something that we haven't mentioned, Wilfred, and I'm going to throw that out there and then pass over to you. They start off with Newcastle, who are going to be improved, but it's still a decent matchup. They've got the Gold Coast at Shark Park, which should be an absolute points carve-up for the Sharkies. Uh, then they go away to the Cows, which I'm pretty sure Cows are going to have some points scored against them. And then they've got the Eels in round four. So you know, Titans, Cows and Eels are probably, along with the Warriors, probably my top sides that I want to have players playing against because I reckon that those teams can open up. So as far as attacking football goes and points on offer for someone like Matt Moylan at fullback, you know, you, you could probably do worse um, as a pod, I understand. Fullback 5'8 is awkward, though, position-wise. That's probably the big thing that's going to keep most people away and, and probably fair enough. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, the draw sounds really quite quite good. Um, yeah, obviously, the teams they play are nice, but obviously the downside is that they play three of those games away. Yep. So, it. You know, it, it could go either way, to be honest. But, um, you know, with the Sharks having a fair bit of turnover themselves, there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to click straight up. So, you know, a guy like Moylan, who doesn't really rely a lot on structure, I think could, could go quite well. But he's just so unreliable. I couldn't do it myself. <laughs> Especially not when there's going to be better 5'8 and fullback options. Yeah. You know, I'd much rather have Milford or Ponga at 5'8 and, you know, Teddy, Turbo, Ponga, so many options at fullback, I'd rather take over Moylan. So, um, you know, unfortunately, just a, a bad, bad spot, really. I just couldn't take him over any of those other guys, to be honest. Yeah, I could probably only do it if I was going to really stack the back row and the, the halves with all guns, and I'd probably need the Melbourne Storm salary cap from a few years ago to be able to do that. So, it's. You mean the Roosters? No, I'm not talking. Yeah, okay, our Sunbury would do as well, but. Uh, we don't have any of that for round one, so um, no. it's probably going to be too hard. But he is only 480k. He is someone who, um, 
you know, you, you've got to have big balls to go for that type of pod, but he is someone who I could see doing something ridiculous, like averaging, you know, 75 yeah. points for the first month and, like, getting a few people right up there. So, you know, if you if you want to take a punt, you, you could pay off, but I'm not going to do it myself. Um, and yeah. overall, I think the Sharkies as well are probably going to hate listening to this podcast because... I don't think either of us are really keen on starting with many sharks from round one. It's too many, um, too many unknowns, to be honest. My theory of Moylan is you either have to have owned him previously when he went on a couple of those runs, or you're either a Sharks or Panthers fan. Otherwise, <laughs> I feel like most people just don't want to pick him. Yeah, and uh, I'm scared of the forward rotation as well, to be honest. Um, I, don't, I don't know what's going to go on with that. So I'm even scared of... Um, you know, a starting capable ending up only getting 55 minutes or something worries me even. So, yeah, there's a lot of flags yep. with the Sharks. It's it's a big watch in the trials, that's for sure. Um, let's move on to our final team that we're going to chat about. Only three on today's pod because we've got a lot of players to get through. Uh, and the yep. final one's going to be the St. George Illawarra Dragons. And I'm pretty interested um, to go through a couple of these options. They don't have as many as some of the other teams. Under their guns that we're going to chat about, um, we've only got one, and that's Gareth Widdop, and it's a bit of a tough one. So let's go full Marty McClough, Wilfred. We're going to go back to the future, and we're going to go back to last year. In the season previews, me and Billy spoke about the St. George Dragons, and we both said, you're mad. <laughs> you're mad if you start with Widdop. Can't do it. Overpriced. Cost too much money. Going to go missing. Dragon's going to start terrible. Don't go. Don't go Widdop. And of course, we went on this amazing run to start the year. Great. Obviously, last year, you know, people were scrambling to jump on Widdop. He you know, did okay. He averaged 59 points a game, but he didn't do as well the year prior when he did 73 points a game, which was easily his best year. Um, the 73 points a game were, were amazing. He, he killed it that year. He's coming at 553,000, which is less than what he was in his 2017 price, at least. Um, Decent enough draw, although not phenomenal. It's going to be a, a fullback um, change for him from 5'8", which he's going to take some getting used to, but he's still going to have the goal kicking. I'm really um, struggling to even um, see where I think he's going to go this year. He just seems like such an enigma of a player for this season, especially with all these pluses, but all these question marks. So I really can't see how he's going to go in his final year as a dragon. What are you? What's your take on on how he's going to perform at fullback? Well, actually, firstly, we don't actually know if he's locked in for fullback. Um, I was reading today that um, you know interview with quotes from Mary where he actually talked about how he wanted Dufty to be still in the seventeen, and you know how he was going to fit in. Like that, he talked about he might start, he might just be at the utility. Um, he wasn't sure how he was going to use him. It talked about how. Like in training right now, like Norman and Widow have just been switching between five eights and fullback. Um, he's actually had the two of them playing in the halves together with Hunt at Hooker and McInnes shifting to to lock. Um, so it sounds like the right now, like Mary's just got all sorts of things going on, and he hasn't really worked out himself how he wants this team to line up. So a lot of question marks there. Um, as for how he's going to go, I think he'll actually do all right um, because. You know, obviously, we, when we see these halves shift back to fullback, they get they start getting their runs. Uh, assuming Widow, you know, does do the work and take some hit ups, uh, or at least kick returns, um, where he, you know, if he does that ten or twenty times a game, that's much more than what he normally does with his current 
work rate in the halves. So there's potentially he could actually go, you know, better than what he did. Big question mark though. I just, you just don't know. It's been a while since he played fullback. I kind of think that he's going to have to be a five-eight option if you're looking at him because I don't think you can put him in at fullback. There's too many good options. Oh no, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. I hundred percent agree. It's just whether he can actually play fullback again. Um, obviously, he's coming off a, a serious shoulder dislocation as well, just like Milford um, did the, the the previous year. So the, it remains to be seen how he recovers from that. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's in any doubt of missing time. Um, but obviously, his, his pre season has been disrupted as well. So yeah. A lot of question marks. It's it's going to be a real a real tough one if you put him in there. I, I just don't think he can do it. But in saying that, you know, I there's there was a lot of risk in, in choosing Milford again, and we're both on Milford, so I can easily yeah, see. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, we we can say it's all risky and everything, but at the end of the day, we're both on Anthony Milford, and let's face it, that's a big risk too. So Gareth Wood's only forty grand more than Milford. Um, if you if you really got a gut feeling about it and you really want to go for it, then look, you, you may as well put him in place in Milford and, and start him at five eight, and you can go for that. I just wouldn't be taking too many other risks um, elsewhere if you're going to take that sort of risk um, in the halves. But he could turn it around, and it could be a turning point um, for your season if he starts well and the Dragons start well. That's probably the other thing with him: the Dragons generally start well. Uh, and we've seen that plenty of times, you know, they've got all the needs about them being, uh, you know, the, the faders of the competition and they only play until round 18 or round 12 or whatever. Um, and then they just completely dismantle the last month or two of the season. So it, if they start well, it's going to be on the back of Widow. I'm pretty confident that he's going to be fullback though. I, just, I think that he's, I think that Paul McGregor's just talking about Dufty maybe starting and maybe not just to keep him interested and motivated to train harder. I think he's just going to slot straight into that man role on the bench uh, and just be doing that. Because um, their ins and outs we didn't go through, but they didn't really have a hell of a lot happening other than um, Kurt Mann leaving them so, and uh, Corey Norman obviously coming in. So Norman's a big one, but he's, yeah, it's really about all, all about Gareth Widdick if they go well, I reckon. I can't wait till Mary puts um, Dusty in the middle and makes him work. <laughs> That's going to be hilarious. Yeah, it's playing play man as middle forward last year. It just did my head in. Hey, <laughs> uh, it's and this is the other problem, and this is why it's so hard to talk about Widdop and, and what's going to happen. McGregor is infuriating as a as a fan and also as a super coach in trying to see what he's doing. You know, like you can watch a Dragons football game at the start of the season, and it's going to be expansive. You're going to see seven Tim Lafley offloads in one game. You're going to see him throw 50 points on the Warriors in New Zealand. And all, everything's going to just come off great. And then all of a sudden, a month down the track, no one's allowed to offload. The attacking structure's completely yep. changed. They're deciding to turn into the Melbourne Storm and grind teams into 13, 12 wins and start trying to wrestle. It, it's just crazy. Like, yeah, I don't think anyone can guess where they're going to go, and that's probably the biggest thing to say about about Widdop and, and why it's going to be tough to have him for round one. Um, but another guy that I'm actually more interested in that I haven't seen anyone talk about um, is a fallen gun, and he's a guy that was very popular uh, a season ago, um, and he paid off a lot of coaches in spades that had him in the side, and that's Paul Vaughan. He, um, in 2017, he had a career year and a lot of people were waiting for it. A lot of smart super coaches were predicting 
he was going to have a big year of sheet because of his monster PPM, uh, and he did. He averaged 68 points a game, and he only did that with 47 minutes a game. He played a minute more than that in 2018 at 48 minutes a game, and only averaged 53. So he went down by 15 points a game. Um, now, it's kind of the reverse of Milford, though, because... You know, Milford, we said, you know, he, he went down so significantly in his prime, it's got to be an anomaly. Whereas, unfortunately for Vaughan, it looks like the anomaly was a 68 because he's gone 53, 68, 51 and 52. Um, and that 51 and 52 in 2015 and 16, he didn't really average that many less points. He was around uh, minutes, sorry, he was around 42 minutes a game. So there's red flags everywhere that the 2017 was an outlier, but... Wilfred, I've been so desperate for a front row forward option that 490,000 and remembering that run in 2017 of warning that I did not own him for, which was really depressing. It's made me just think, you know, is there a renaissance happening? Can we get back to 2017 and 2019? I just think um, the, the telling stat is that he only scored two tries last year um, compared to 2017 where he scored nine. Was it 10? Something ridiculous. He's got a crazy amount so, of tries, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I definitely am interested in what as well. So my eye on Warney as well, because uh, one thing we haven't really talked about is Jack DeBellin. That's uh, true. Yep. Dayton Court, Dayton Court, two weeks time. So that'd be very interesting to see how that plays out. Um, obviously, if there is any sort of you know, negative fallout for JDB, um, Warney becomes a lot more interesting uh, because obviously that. You know, that there's 65 minutes or so per game that's suddenly freed up. And, you know, he might be replaced by Jacob Host or Blake Laurie or whatever, but they're not going to play that many minutes. So um, Vaughn obviously does have the ability to, to step up a bit. Um, you know, does Jimmy Graham come into play? Who knows what's going to happen? But, um, you know, certainly keeping an eye on what's going on there with the Jack DeBellin situation for sure. Yeah, I mean, Paul Vaughan's PPM actually went down 25%. Um, from 2017 to 2018, that's that's massive. That is such a huge number to drop off by. And, um, you know, in 2017, 65% of his games were over 60 points. Last year, it was 26% of his games over 60 points. So you can definitely see, just by looking at the numbers, you know, the severity of the drop-off. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking at him a little bit more now. If, if TPJ, say, has a hamstring problem or something, um, I don't, and if I don't want to pay for, you know, someone like Sam Burgess um, at 580k or, or, you know, for Fia at 635k, Paul Bourne's probably the best option in that sub 500k category because there isn't really much there for the front row forwards. I think, I, <clears throat> I mean, I, I definitely think he's in the mix there, but I would probably look a little bit cheaper. I'd be looking at, you know, maybe Sanukin or maybe even Tolman. I know you kind of laughed him off before, but... <laughs> I mean, he is on the price. Um, he, he was coming off the bench the first, you know, eight or nine games. So once he became a starter, once Woods left, um, he, I think he averaged 60 for the rest of the year from his decent, decent amount of minutes. So, I mean, you know, he's he's on the price in that sense and he could easily average 60 for the first, you know, first two months, which obviously will be uh, good for, for Tolman. Um, and for Nukin, I mean, I'll talk about him briefly just because he's, you know, he's priced at 46 average. He's yeah. traditionally been the 55 to 58 kind of average. Um, I can't see why he wouldn't get back there. Now he's, you know, not injured. So the 
potential for growth there, and he's about he's only 430k, so it's a bit cheaper than Vaughn. Yeah, it is a good price point for Finucane. I guess when you're looking at Finucane, Tolman, and Vaughn, the reason I keep gravitating towards Vaughn is because I, I like my attacking picks. upside. Right? Yeah, I just I like the upside, you know, I, and I also yeah. like to maybe I like sexy players, and I don't mean yeah, I mean like the meat and potatoes. <laughs> Stuff the meat and potatoes game is not sexy, you know. Try scoring, offloading, tackle busting that's a sexy game for super coach. That's what you want in your form. That's it. And I don't think there's many more meat and potatoes boring as watching super coach games as what Fanukin and Tolman have. You know, Tolman making an offload is like winning the lottery, that's about as often as you're going to see it. And Fanukin is pretty similar to you know. Really good players, but they're just—they're not exciting to own. Um, and Paul Vaughan really can be. So yeah, it's—I have to gravitate towards Vaughan myself. But um, yeah, it's—it's it's a bit of a tough one. If you can get back to seventeen form, you've really nailed it because for a front row forward, there's just not going to be very many of them you can rely on for the start of this season. Uh, but let's move on to the cheapies um, real briefly. Lomax looks like. Pretty much a must-have. Uh, he looks like he's definitely got that spot locked down. Um, yeah. you, you can't leave Lomax out. He's he's probably got the potential to be the best cheapie of any of the centre wings that are coming through, aside from um, from Nakora, just because he's a forward. But as far as pure backs, I don't know if there's going to be better ones than Lomax coming along. Assuming he plays right centre, which is his favourite spot. Yeah. Where, do you think that he's going to be there, or what do you think they're going to do with him? It's tough, hey, because you kind of think, well, Ewan Aitken was on the on the verge of being selected for Origin at one point, and then within less than a year, he's been overtaken by some rookie. Um, I think it could happen though, because it, you know, you, you listen to Dragons fans talk about Aitken, they they love him, but he's just not the best defensive setter, in, in not because of his work rate, but it's more like he makes bad decisions often. So putting him close to the middle, um, you know, maybe having transition into a back rower, which he might be better suited to anyway. Like, these are all things that could suit him better. So, you know, you've got Lomax, who who seems like he's a, a more rounded, well-rounded centre already, um, even though he's so such a rookie. Um, I think, yeah, for the Dragon's sake, I think it's, good, it's a better move to put him at right centre rather than um, Aitken again. Yeah, Aitken um, is a bit of a strange one. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here to get to a point with Aitken. I don't, I don't know how much you like basketball, but you know I'm really into my basketball and stuff. I'm just as heavy into the NBA fantasy as what I am in the um, in the NRL fantasy as well. But there's a famous story about Michael Jordan um, in the Team USA camp. He played against Clyde Drexler, um, and Clyde Drexler at the time was one of the best scorers in the NBA and was like right up there and trying to challenge Jordan for being one of the best shooting guards in the NBA. And Jordan made it his mission during um, that camp for Team USA to completely destroy Clyde Drexler. And everyone that talks about it just says it was like watching, you know, uh, a 15-year-old boxing against Mike Tyson. He just absolutely destroyed him and he did not let up. It was just... Horrendous to watch like a car crash and Clyde Drexler after that was not the same player. He was just completely destroyed mentally and he just could not do it anymore at the same level. And everybody in the NBA circles would say, Michael destroyed him. Um, he just could not play after that. He just ripped his heart out and killed him. That's how I feel 
with you and Aitken after he played Latrell Mitchell last year. I'm not just saying because I'm a Rooster supporter, but <laughs> Latrell Mitchell absolutely destroyed him that game. You know, this is, like you said, a guy that was going to be an origin centre potentially. Latrell obviously took the spot off him, basically, and he just tore him apart. And after that, I really thought Aitken wasn't the same. I thought he got absolutely embarrassed. Yeah, I think it's a valid point. So I reckon Aitken's on the outer as well. Um, but let's talk about a couple of um, halves to finish off our previews for tonight. Um, I've got the halves in general as a mistake for the Central Delora Dragons for 2019. I think if you are looking at selecting either Ben Hunt or Corey Norman, it's a massive error. Um, and I haven't seen too many people go in the way of Corey Norman um, but I've seen a couple of people rumbling about what his price was um, because he is pretty cheap. Um, and Ben Hunt's probably someone that I've seen more people talk about. In prior years, Ben Hunt's you know been a little bit of an enigma as well. But realistically, you know he's he's had a pretty good super coach career up until last year. He was a 58 point scorer in 2017, a 56 point scorer in 16, and a 64 point per game scorer in 2015 in his best season. I can understand people, you know, looking at 480k and, and thinking that there might be some upside and the Dragons will have a lot of attack. Uh, too many cooks in the kitchen for me. Norman, Hunt and Widdop. I think Widdop's going to get his and Hunt and Norman are probably going to just take away from each other. So to me, either one of those guys on your side is going to be a big mistake this year for the Dragons. Yeah, I think uh, I definitely agree there because, I mean, just trying to picture how this structure would work, I just can't see... You know the halves following each other across the field. You're gonna you're gonna end up with one of them parked on one side and the other one stuck on the other, um, and that's obviously going to restrict them. And then obviously Widdop can run off both of them um, at, at fullback. So that seems like the logical way Mary's going to go, especially when he's not the most creative coach to begin with. So no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, um, you know, I I'm fairly vocal in my criticisms of Ben Hunt, even though he he was one of my favourite players, um, especially when he was a Bronco. <laughs> and who could forget 2014, right? When he was just exploded out of nowhere as a starting seven uh, after being a bench utility for ages. So that that was actually his best season. I think he averaged 70. Um, I didn't think that he was that good in 14. Wow, 70. I thought it was the 15 season at 64 that was good. That's um, that's a really good run. Yeah, it was huge. And that was when um, he was available <laughs> because he was a hooker. He was available in the front row forwards. That's before they did the split. So, ah, back in the good old days. Yeah. yeah. Back when you could run three hookers. Some coaches <laughs> won't remember that. Some of the millennial coaches or people that came to the game a bit later won't remember that, you know, six, six years ago you could run three hookers in your front row forward and just go crazy. Uh, when you could have Smith, Farah and Isaac Luke. Those are the days. <laughs> well, we better stop reminiscing. Um, but yeah, yeah any Dragons yeah. halves in your side, you should start your halves picks again. Don't do it to yourself. Um, but on that note, guys, that'll be our three teams for this episode. Uh, we'll be back again for another one same time next week. But Wilfred, thanks very much for jumping on. I hope your Broncos start well, and I hope your your team is in the top 100 at least for the first few weeks. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for that. Thanks for having me on. Uh, always good to chat footy with you, and obviously we get a bit carried away sometimes. <laughs> That's all right. I'll have you on again soon, and we can get carried away again. Thanks, mate. Cheers, man. All right, guys. So that's a wrap for us again for another season preview podcast. You can download us on SoundCloud. Uh, Also, download or stream us on iTunes, 
do follow us on Twitter. It's NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Share us around and stuff as well. It's always good to get some um, new listeners on board and stuff. And some, uh, have fun with it. Good luck with your teams at the moment. It's always fun to select them for round one. Trials are coming up soon, so it's getting very exciting. I'll have uh, VK, our 2017 Supercoach champion, on this time next week to go through a few more teams. Until then, guys, good luck with your teams, and thanks for listening.